For some months, we have looked very closely at Jesus' life and ministry and message, particularly in the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is the most sequential of Gospels. As I've shared before, it happened in the order in which it is recorded in the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest of the Gospels, just 16 chapters long, and we have been there a great deal. Now, near the end of Mark's Gospel, Jesus' timeline, and you understand the timeline, he lived for about 33 years, began his ministry at about age 30, and uh, ministered for those three years. The timeline of Jesus is addressed in the Gospel of Mark, but at the very end of Mark, Jesus' timeline moves immediately from Jesus' death and resurrection to the ascension. It moves very quickly from the time that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and then ascended into heaven. However, however, there were actually almost six weeks, a six-week period, just short of six weeks, 40 days, 40 days between Jesus' resurrection, his physical resurrection, and his physical removal from the world through his ascending into heaven. 40 days, just short of six weeks. And a lot can happen in that period of time. A lot did happen during that period of time. For example, one of the things that happened, we looked at it last week, was Jesus appeared to his disciples and he showed them the scars that were on his hands that were there because of his wounds on the cross and just before the cross. He showed them the the scars from where they nailed him to the cross. They were not wounds, they were scars. They had miraculously healed in just a matter of moments. Actually, it happened immediately, but, but it was just days afterwards. They had already healed. Why? Because they had healed immediately upon his resurrection. He was raised from the dead, but for good purpose, the scars that were on his hands remained. And we, again, we looked at that this last week, and, and I shared, I shared how, how Jesus' wounds that became scars can mean a great deal to us because Jesus, our healer, can turn our wounds can heal our wounds and turn them into scars. And then he can take our scars, the memories, the, the, the things that maybe come from that, and he can use those for his glory. Many of you were here last week, and a lot of you weren't because we had horrible weather last week. And I encourage you, not, I don't care if you remember that it was me who was preaching, I really, I really don't. But you can go online and you can hear that message and, and it's going to speak to you, some of you. And I know that it spoke to some of you this last week because a number of you have come up to me and said, the Lord did a great work and, and, and I recognize that I have some wounds that are open, that are bleeding, that are easily infected, but Jesus is going to heal my wounds or Jesus has healed my wounds. My wounds. Glory to God. And I believe that he can take those scars, the memories, the, 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 the recollections of those things, and rather than, rather than saying, look what those people did to me, or look what I did to myself, or look what happened, instead of doing that, we say, look what Jesus did and how he healed me. Amen. And look at the Savior that I have who saved me. So God is going to do some amazing things. I look forward to hearing 
some of the amazing things that God is going to do with some of your scars. And I, I know how he has used some of your scars in the past. Now, uh, there was someone else, there was someone else who was wounded and healed during those weeks. His name, he was one of the disciples, his name was Peter. And part of Peter's story is in John's Gospel, chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there. It's going to be a few moments before we read, but you can be ready. The Gospel of John, chapter 21. Now, to better appreciate this part, the, the, the really exciting part of Peter's story, um, you need to know about the darkest days of his story. Do you know that before you can talk about victory, sometimes you need to talk about tragedy? <laughs> before you talk about victory, you need to talk about tragedy and you need to talk about failure. So let me take you back. I referred to this briefly on Easter Sunday two weeks ago. Here's the short version. Just before Jesus' arrest and crucifixion at the event that we refer to as the Last Supper, uh, Jesus was with his disciples and he told his disciples that one of them, one of his 12, one of the 12 people that had walked with him, talked with him, met with him, prayed with him for three years, one of them was going to betray him. Well, Jesus knew that the one he was referring to was Judas. The others didn't know that yet, but Jesus knew that he was referring to Judas. But Peter, Peter, if you understand anything about Peter, Peter was often the first one to speak up in almost any given situation. Peter said this, even if I have to die, I will never disown you. I want you to picture that. It's at the Last Supper. And Jesus says, one of you is going to betray. And, 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 and Peter very quickly, uh, even if I have to die, if I, I will rather, this would, I would rather die than betray you, Jesus. That's what he said. On another occasion, he said, I love this part. On another occasion, Peter said, he says, even if all these other guys, other guys give up on you, I won't, which I'm sure endeared him greatly to the other 11. Even if I have to die, I will never disown you. Here's the thing, I, I, I don't doubt him. I don't think he was being disingenuous. He wasn't lying. He wasn't trying to, uh, to you know, say something. I really believe that he believed <clears throat> that he would rather die than, than betray Jesus. And yet, if you know his story, just hours later, just hours later, during Jesus' trial, Peter did disown Jesus three times. In rapid succession, Peter said he didn't know Jesus, wasn't with Jesus, had no connection to Jesus. Very, very quickly, Within just a very short time, he did disown him. He did disown, not once, not twice, three times. And then the Bible tells us in another gospel, the Bible tells us that after the third time, Jesus said after the third time you do this, a cock, a, a chicken will crow. After the third time Peter disowned Jesus, Luke's gospel records what the other gospel writers did not, it says, Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. For just a moment, I want to take you back all those years ago 
They're in this courtyard. Jesus is already suffering. He's not hanging on the cross yet, but he's being tried. He's going through, he's beginning this ordeal. Peter denies Jesus for the third time, denies knowing him, disowns him for the third time. The cock crows. Jesus turns and looks straight at Peter. Their eyes meet. And I want you to understand it was in that moment, that moment right there, that everything imploded on Peter. Everything seemed to fold into itself in his heart. That moment, I am sure that moment must have absolutely shredded the heart of Peter. This, 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 as I mentioned a moment ago, there was another person who was wounded. This was a wound as well, but it was self-inflicted. No one did this to Peter. Others were just questioning him. Are you with Jesus? No, he had to own this one. It was a self-inflicted wound. And again, as I mentioned, the, the days that followed must have been, they had to have been among the darkest and among the most fearful of Peter's life. Those hours and those days following Jesus' death, following Peter's denial of Jesus. Someday you can ask him when you get to heaven, what were your last days? If it's still a memory then, then he would say it was those days. I am sure of it because he had died knowing his, he had denied knowing his friend. Fear had consumed him. They were fearful days. Fears are powerful things. Let me say that again. Fears are powerful things. A lot of studies have been done, a lot of studies have been conducted to determine what are people's greatest fears? What are people's greatest fears? And we could take some time this morning, we could say, you know, what's our greatest fears? And, and it would be interesting to take a poll here. What, what are you, and I'm not talking about phobias. Um, uh, those, 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 by phobias, I mean those things that people are instinctively afraid of. Not talking about that. Phobias, phobias would be things like, you know, a, a fear of insects or snakes or needles or heights or not getting to the grocery store before the blizzard. Those kinds of things. They're just really, you know, just kind of built into people. I'm not talking about those kinds of phobias that are, that are more natural, instinctive. Rather, by fears, I mean those things that affect a person's psyche, those things that affect a person's mind, that eventually can affect a person's body. By fears, I mean those things that can change people's behaviors. Fears can affect how we interact in our world. Fears can affect how we relate to other people. Fears can affect how we understand and view ourselves. Fears are powerful things. Fears are usually connected to something in our past. Some, something happened, and because of a maybe something that was done to us or something that we chose to do, it affects us, it changes us, and our responses, our behaviors are different. It's interesting that two of these kinds of fears, not phobias, but fears, two of these kinds of fears, two that appear, if you were to look up um, any top 10 list of fears or even top five list of fears, fears, 
the two fears that will appear in almost every list are the fear of failure and the fear of rejection. Those two fears. Almost any list, those are going to come up. Fear of failure, which often is either at or near the top or at the top of some of those lists. Fear of failure and fear of rejection. Failure and rejection are powerfully destructive things. And those two things, think of, think of this for a moment. Now, those, those studies that I refer to are not people who are looking to, to the truth of Scripture to determine fears. No, this is, they, they came by it otherwise. But it's, it's interesting, it's interesting, isn't it, that, that these two fears, failure and rejection, were present in those moments and in those hours and days after Peter denied knowing Jesus. Those two things consumed Peter in those days. His fears were realized. Peter said he would never reject Jesus. He said he would never reject him. He even went on to say, or he said, that he would rather die than disown Jesus. I'd rather die than disown you, he said. But he failed. He failed. He made the statement And then just a few hours later, he failed. Not once, not twice, three times. That's failure, man. And he failed miserably. He said, I I won't do it. And he did it. Peter also rejected Jesus. Peter knew he rejected Jesus. Jesus knew Peter rejected him. And Peter knew that Jesus knew that Peter had rejected him. Because their eyes met. He rejected his friend, the friend that had miraculously fed him on at least two occasions, probably many more. The one who had healed his mother-in-law. One of the first miracles recorded. Healing miracles. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. This is the man who had reached down and pulled Peter out of the waves as he was beginning to drown when he tried walking on the water as Jesus had done. Peter had been one of the persons that Jesus had taken to the top of the mountain and he saw Moses and Elijah there and he also took him to a a dead little girl's house and saw her raised from the dead. Peter! And this guy rejected Jesus. His fears were realized. And I think Peter was himself afraid of being rejected because of it. Certainly rejected by Jesus in that moment, in the moments before Jesus died, he was afraid that maybe Jesus rejected him, but perhaps he was also afraid, and we don't know this for sure, but perhaps he was also afraid of being rejected by the other disciples when they found out. What's going to happen when they find out that, or if they found out, or that they did find out that, that I disowned our teacher, our rabbi, our, our friend? In those hours and in those days after Jesus died, Peter's fears were realized. Let me ask you, you ever, you ever experience you ever experienced failure? Don't run to the altars yet, but have you ever experienced failure? You ever feel that? You ever put a lot of time, effort, maybe expense, 
tremendous amount of attention to something and then see it seemingly fall apart. You ever give weeks, months, years to something and it didn't turn out the way that you wanted to? You ever feel that, that, that bitter taste of failure? You ever, you ever have that? Probably. You try something, it didn't happen. It didn't get done. It failed. Or, or maybe, maybe you believed... Maybe it's on the other hand, maybe you believed you would never do something. Boy, I'll never do that. I'll never give in to that. I'll never do that, see that, smoke that, drink that, go there, think that, say that, fill it in however you want. (laughs) You ever say, I'll never do that, and then you did it? (laughs) More than once? And you're going, man, I failed. I just feel like such a failure. You ever follow Jesus for a time and then for a time turn your back on him in some small or great way, at least in our estimation? Again, don't raise your hands. This is not what this is about. I'm just asking you, Is you ever been there? You ever experienced that kind of a failure? Can you relate a little bit to Peter? How about this one? You ever been rejected? You ever had somebody, so to speak, stiff-arm you, somebody that you once trusted, somebody that stood beside you, somebody that was an advocate, somebody that walked the journey with you, and then they turn on you and say, I don't want anything to do with you, or I don't even know you, or they don't acknowledge you. You ever had that? Oh, that's painful. Or have you ever rejected them? You ever walked with someone, prayed with someone, Befriended someone, married someone, shared life, and then rejected them. See, we'd like to think that it's always a, we're recipients, but sometimes we're the perpetrators. Failure, fear realized. And many times, here's the thing, many times we begin to think that the failure that seems so great and the rejection which seems so great, that seems so large, that seems so pervasive, is going to be our lot in life. Well, I blew it, and there's no turning back. I failed miserably. I can never undo it. I've been rejected or I rejected so strongly. And I'm going to live with that regret for the rest of my life. I guess only Jesus knows the number of people who are right now living with regret over something that was done or done to them or that they did. Some failure, some rejection, some other thing. Some brokenness. How many people... How many people view their lives in light of that failure? They almost define themselves in light of that failure or that rejection. But for Peter, here's the thing. Oh, this is not the time to stop. 
If, if you need to leave, don't leave until the next five or ten minutes because it's going to get better. Here's the thing. For Peter, let's look back to Peter. For Peter, Jesus' resurrection began to change everything. Let me say that again. For Peter, the resurrection began to change everything. That's how powerful the resurrection is. Here it is. Two weeks later, we're still talking about the resurrection. When an angel, when an angel in the empty tomb when an angel in the empty tomb announced Jesus' resurrection, he said to, quote, go tell his disciples and Peter. I love that. The angel said, angel, a messenger from God said, go tell all the disciples and Peter. Not that he wasn't one of the disciples. It was like, especially of all people, tell Peter. Let me say this. Now, I can't go to chapter and verse, but I'm pretty sure on this. I'm I think that Peter probably rolled that statement around in his mind. As soon as he heard it, I believe he rolled that thing around in his mind for a long time. He replayed that statement thousands of times in his mind. God told the angel to tell the disciples, but especially to tell me. God wanted me to know Jesus is alive. See, that's what that statement means. God wants me to know that Jesus is alive and there's hope. You see, this marked the beginning of Peter's restoration. That's a great word, isn't it? Restoration. I love that word. I love that word, restoration. It's a great word. Later, Peter, along with the other disciples, saw Jesus in that locked room when Jesus showed them his scars. Peter was there a week later when Jesus appeared again and showed them his scars again, and this time showed Thomas, who wasn't there the first time. Peter needed to see Jesus alive. Peter needed to see those scars that his heel had it healed. And again, I wonder, it doesn't say, but I wonder if when he saw those scars, I wonder if Peter said, I wonder if Jesus can heal me. See, Peter bore no scars from the crucifixion. There were no physical scars on him. No, the scar on him, excuse me, the wound on him wasn't a scar yet. The wound on him was internal. It had been ripped open when he denied knowing Jesus. It had been ripped open when he had failed so miserably, when he'd rejected. The wound was on the inside. Peter needed to see Jesus himself. Here's the thing. There's no personal, there's no recorded personal interaction between Jesus and Peter. They were together on two occasions prior to John chapter 21, but there was no recorded personal interaction, the two of them talking, the last personal interaction there had been was in that courtyard when Peter denied Jesus for the third time and their eyes met. That was the last personal interaction, one-on-one -on -one type of thing, until John chapter 21. Here's the thing, it took us a long time to get here, but here it is. Jesus and the disciples were on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. It was morning. They had just finished breakfast, probably sitting around a fire. And John chapter 21, verse 15 reads this way. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Simon was his original name. He said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He probably refers to the fish because Peter had just been fishing. 
Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, third time, interesting, third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Look at the next statement. It says, Peter was grieved. Peter had been grieved. But now it's, here it is, it's exposed. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Here's the thing, for weeks, for weeks, Peter had known Jesus was alive. Peter found out. He was one of the first to find out. Remember, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Peter was one of the first to know. He was the first to get to the tomb, get in there and see the empty tomb. He and John. John ran ahead of him but stopped at the door. Peter caught up with him and went inside. He knew, Peter had known that Jesus was alive for weeks, but he needed to know that Jesus was not done with him. See, see no, let me, he, he understood that the resurrection had happened, but it's here in this chapter that he begins to experience the power of the resurrection in understanding that Jesus was not done with him. Peter had denied knowing Jesus three times, and three times Jesus allowed Peter to say he loved him. I, I, I don't know exactly what was going on in his, it's conjecture to say exactly what was going through Peter's mind, but it had to be something, it says he was grieved, that last verse, he was grieved, partly because he keeps answering the same question, ask, Jesus asks the same question, he answers it the same way. But it was at that third time, that third time, he said, you know that I love you. I think there was something that broke inside of him, but broke in a good way. It broke in a good way, not in a bad way like that those weeks before, but it broke in a good way. Three times he declared to Jesus, I love you. And then Jesus replied each time, then go take care of my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me bring it to you and I because this is very important. This is not, not simply a recitation of a, an event that happened a long time ago, but powerful as it was. It has to come down to us. Sometimes you and I need to be reminded that Jesus is not done with us. Now I'm going to say that again because I want, some of you need to hear that. I I, I know that as I was preparing this, I had to repeat this statement because when I, in repeating it, it's gonna settle into your heart. Jesus is not done with you. Let me say it again. Jesus is not done with you. Let me, let me rephrase it. Regardless of what happened, because of the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection, because of what he accomplished, Jesus 
is not done with you. Regardless of what people around you say, regardless of how people will point their fingers and say, you're a failure, you're a reject, you are, you are, you are horrible, you failed, you're, you're this kind of a person, and they define you that way. Regardless of what they say, Jesus is not done with you. Get that into your hearts this morning. He's not done with you. Some of you have heard that, 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 that wicked, small, evil voice of Satan whispering in your heart and whispering in your ear, you're, you're finished, there's no hope for you. And I tell you, Jesus declares, I love you and I want to use you. I am not done with you. Again, along with the other disciples, Jesus, excuse me, Peter knew about the cross and he knew about the resurrection but here he was learning how the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection not only forgives but restores let me just let me let me let me say that again the power of the cross not only forgives but restores i believe that peter was already forgiven but here peter is being restored some of you have, you, you confessed some things to the Lord shortly after they happened. In some cases, you confessed it a long time ago. But you still feel the brokenness of that. And I'm telling you that the power of the cross not only can forgive, but also restore and use you. See, Jesus did not restore, excuse me, did not forgive Peter and restore him into fellowship to put him on a little shelf and say, look, here's my little trophy named Peter. Little rock, there he is. He forgave him, and he restored him to use him. And I tell you, I know how he was used because of what Peter wrote many years later. The same man who had failed horribly, repeatedly. This man who had rejected the one who never rejected anyone. This man who failed and rejected Jesus in his greatest moment of need. This is what he wrote, directed by the Holy Spirit years later. He wrote, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. <laughs> you see, Peter wasn't just saying, oh, you know what, this really sounds nice. He lived what he wrote. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit, as is all of the Bible. But it was coming through this man who had experienced this when he wrote, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He knew of whom he wrote. When he wrote according to his great mercy, he knew God's great mercy because he had experienced God's great mercy when he said he has caused us to be born again, he knew what it was because he knew what it was like to die, inwardly die. When he wrote to a living hope, he understood what he wrote of because he had lived with a living failure. 
in a hopeless state. But through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, he experienced living hope. And folks, I almost said, I don't care what you, I do care what you've gone through. I do, I, I care what you have, the failures. I, my heart breaks with you over some of the failures. Some of you look back and you go, man, I, I failed in so many ways. And, and you're living with that, the weight of that. Some of you have experienced a rejection and you have rejected and it still hurts. But I have some really good news for you. Jesus wants to restore you. He wants to do a holy, holy work within you of restoration. I may have shared this before. I'm not much of a TV watcher, but you give me a show where they take something beat up and wrecked and they restore it. Whoo-wee! I like that. Because what some people regard as just a bunch of broken down piece of junk. Somebody who has an eye, somebody who has the skills can take that thing and turn it around. Oh, I love to do that. I love to see that. I love to fix it up and sell it and give it to missions so that Wes and Nancy can go on the road. I love, to, I love to see things transformed. But you know what? I've done it with cars. I've done it with motorcycles. I've done it with furniture. I've done it with lots of different things. But I tell you what, I love to see it with people. That's the best. That's the best restoration ever. Amen. This morning, we're not quite done. We're not quite done because... I don't want to just share what happened. I want you to experience what happened. I'd like you to stand across this congregation, please, if you can. I'd like our musicians, if they would come back. We're going to sing that song always again. And I'm going to pray. Here's what we're going to do. Um, We're going to pray for God to do a work in us in these moments ahead. And then, uh, and then we're just going to turn this place into a place of prayer. If you want to come to these altars and pray, you can do that. And I'll tell you what, there's going to be a whole lot of, a lot of restoration, eternal restoration that's happening right up here. I believe that there's some things that Jesus wants to do in your heart and in your mind and in your life and in your walk. And he wants to, above all things, give you hope so that when you leave this place, you go, I will not be defined by my failure or by my rejection. I will not be defined by that anymore. And so this morning, we're going to sing this song. I don't know how many times they'll go through. Oh, they'll go through it a couple times. When, when, when you're done praying, I'm going to pray here in just a moment. I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to ask God to do a work in you. And I believe that by faith, you go, well, we got to go through a certain protocol. No, we have to experience what God has for us right now. And so here's what I'd like you to do. I had you do this last week about healing. But remember, God not only wants to heal us, but God wants to restore us. And so before we sing, before I pray, close in prayer, uh, after and and they sing and you can leave whenever you want you can leave right away if you need to go then you can go as soon as we're done praying but let's trust the Lord right now would you do this 
If you want the Lord to do a restoration work in you, big or small, big or small, but there's some, something that you just need a restoration, a holy restoration. You don't need to give any details. You need to tell me, person beside you, anyone, but you need to tell him. And so here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to put your hands out like this and say, Lord, that's me. That's me, Lord. And now, Lord, in this closing prayer, before we make our way out of this place, Lord, we need to have some work done in us. We don't want to leave very quickly and miss what you're doing in us. So, Lord, with hands out and heart open, with the message of your word still resonating in our ears and in our hearts. In this holy moment, I ask that you, the one who said to a broken, borderline hopeless man, who believed in the resurrection, believed in the living Christ, but still needed the restoration, Lord, I pray that you, in these moments right now, would bring restoration to people here. They're not here by accident. They're not here by mistake today. It's with holy intent that they are here. And I pray now for a restoration. Across this body, across this room, Lord, with people who are hungry, would you do a, begin a restoration work? It may, it may happen in moments. It may, take, it may take a while. But Lord, I pray that the restoration would begin today. I pray that you would knock the, the unholy rust off. Lord, people that may have rejected you, walked away from you for a time, but today they're coming back. People who lived by their failure, who defined themselves by their failure, who filtered everything in their life through that failure or through that rejection. Today, Lord, we look to a restoration. So we pray this, Lord, with hearts open and hands lifted up. I pray this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are ours always. Thank you that you are working in us always. Thank you that you desire to, to, to go into every part of us in always. So Jesus, now as we sing and as we leave this place in these seconds ahead or minutes ahead, when we leave this place, I ask that we will leave as people who are experiencing restoration. And we pray this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you this morning. Team is going to lead us. When you need to go, God bless you. Go in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's sing this together. My foes are many. They rise against me. But I will hold my ground I will not fear the war I will not fear the storm My help is on the way My help is on the way Oh my God He will not delay My refuge and strength
Strong. 